Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Uh, it's Thanksgiving, right? Uh, how many of you guys traveled out of state? Anybody? And you're already back? Um, it's a good weekend to be with family. Like Tony said, some people don't have great Thanksgiving. Sometimes, um, for some of us, the holidays poke in a way, either... Um, you've lost somebody and the holidays bring that all back up or right now your family is a mess and you don't have that. Um, so we want to be sensitive at the same time to say, uh, for some of us, Thanksgiving is thrilling. For some of us, it's stressful. For some of us, it's really, really painful. Um, and we can, uh, we can kind of come together all, all in that. We're going to look at Thanksgiving and the idea of giving thanks this morning. I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever been... Uh, given a gift that took you by surprise. A uh, number of years ago, uh, it was a pretty stressful period in my life and going through a number of different things. And honestly, I can't even tell you what exactly it was. I just know that I was kind of pent up, um, if you've ever experienced anything like that. And Leslie uh, recognized it, and she could go, I think, in a couple different directions. She chose to go in the direction of being extra gracious to me. So we were supposed to head down to Madison the next day to do a graduation. And uh, instead of going down the next day, she just said, hey, pack a bag. I got a hotel room for the night. We're going to just go the two of us. I got kid arrangements, and we're just going to go. And I remember uh, taking a walk on Monona Terrace that night and just, just exhaling. And it felt like the stress was physically lifting off of me. And I remember the conversation just saying thank you. Like, I, don't, I didn't even know to ask for it. Um, I can't even express what exactly this is. It just feels like this was the perfect gift for me. Um, and, and I didn't see it coming. And I, all I can say is thank you. This is excellent. Uh, another deal, like much, much closer. This last Wednesday, we sold our house. So, which is awesome. We, uh, we had a check overnighted, and we were looking at it to say that's not as much as we would love, but that's way better than it could have been. Um, this doesn't happen in Fond du Lac. Like, the more we talk to people, they're like, what? You sold your house? Like, you just put it on. I'm like, yep. We put it on the market, and in one week, we had an offer that got accepted, and it went through about as fast as possible. All things considered, uh, houses sit on the market in Fond du Lac, it's not uncommon to, to go a year or even two years. And so um, we're you know, facing into, we don't have a December mortgage payment, um, which is just a gift and just incredible. Um, so I say uh, to Leslie for sweeping me off to Madison uh, and getting a hotel room for a night and to God and to all the people who poured into uh, helping us sell our house, what a gift. Uh, what a gift. We have so many gifts, right, to be thankful for if we start to recognize them. Have you ever had something like that happen to you where you're not expecting it and a gift falls in your lap? So let me uh, reframe the hotel night with Leslie just a little bit on Monona Terrace. Um, what if I had looked her in the eyes and said, it's about time. <laughs> Like, mm, this is not going to go well, right? Uh, I don't think you understand what's happening here. What if I had 
just said nothing. Well, maybe that, that's not as stupid as it's about time. Um, but Leslie is left questioning. Was this good? Was this, does this add stress? Is it, I don't know what to do with this, right? There's something about our response to being given gifts that is really, really important. And we're going to explore that today um, in this story of Jesus and 10 lepers and the way that he gives a gift and their response to it and say, what can we learn from this? And how can we, how can we grow in gratitude in our lives? So there is a fantastic, um, fantastic passage in Luke 17, and we're going to go there. Uh, we're going to pull this up. Can we do it? Cool. As we go there, remember, we just finished a series in James called Faith Does. And very, very early on in James, in his first chapter, uh, in James 1.17, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Right? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And James is reminding us, God is generous at heart. James says, if you want wisdom, ask God. And he says God gives generously to all without finding fault. So if you have needs, like ask God. He wants to give you. James says every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is a God who has a generous heart. And I think this story that we're about to jump into reveals a generous heart from God. No matter, no matter our response, God stays the same in his generosity. So Luke 17, 11 through 19 says this. On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, or as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his, his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give, him, give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray, and then we'll, I'm excited to jump into this. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes. Help us to see the way that people have been generous to us. Help us to see the way that you have been generous to us. Open our eyes to this passage, to this encounter with Jesus, and these ten guys who had their lives changed. Help us to see what you want us to see. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to just back up and go and kind of unpack this story line by line, maybe uh, word by word a little bit. So Jesus is walking around, and uh, Jesus is moving with people, but for the purpose of this story, um, his crowd, his people kind of get put in the background. They're not even mentioned. It's like it's Jesus and these ten guys up until the end when Jesus starts talking like, hey, what's going on? That's, that's the focus point is Jesus is just focused on these 10 guys. It says he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. 
So the 10 lepers who stood at a distance have to stand at a distance. If you know anything about leprosy, you know that this is not just a physical disease. This is a social disease and a spiritual disease. Leprosy made you an outcast. If you had leprosy, you couldn't be a part of the community. You were literally put off into a leper colony somewhere outside, and life as you know it was over. And they had to stand up. If people came by, lepers had the responsibility of shouting out to passersby, unclean, unclean, don't come by me. I am not good enough for you to come near me. Don't, don't, don't. You'll get sick like me. Your life will be wrecked if you come by me. That was their existence. And yet somehow they have this understanding as Jesus passes by, even at a distance, they can call out to him and they don't have to just call out unclean. They call out something different. And they ask for help. And they say, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, look at us in our state. And somehow they know Jesus can help. Otherwise, like that makes no sense, that request. Somehow they know Jesus is approachable. And Jesus can help. And they call out, Master, have mercy on us. It's a, it's a position of submission. It's not to say, hey, you owe us. Hey, you, you had better come through for me. They are, they're bowing before Jesus and saying, would you please, we beg you, would you see us where we are and would you help us? And verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said to them. It's interesting, sometimes Jesus, when you read about how he interacts with people, sometimes he'll go up and he's, he's had experiences when he reaches out and he touches lepers even while they have leprosy, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he speaks a word and says, I want you to trust that I didn't even have to touch you, that the word I just spoke over you was enough to heal you. He did that with a man who came who had a sick child, and he said, uh, your child's well, go home. Uh, and just by saying that, the child was healed. And the man in faith turns around, goes home, and finds that Jesus delivered, that Jesus was good on it. And this is one of those instances where he doesn't have to touch he doesn't have to come close. He can see them far off from a distance. And he said, I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. And what's significant about this is showing themselves to the priest was this, hey, if I think I've been healed, the way back into the community is through the priest. So I'm going to go and show myself to the priest. He's going to look at me. And if I still have leprosy, he'll, he'll declare me still unclean. I'll go back to the colony and nothing changes in my own personal hell. But if, if I've truly been cured, the priest declares me clean and my life is back. I'm given life. And Jesus says, I want you to trust that when I speak this, healing is on the way. All 10 of them believe. All 10 of them start to move uh, their faith does something. They don't just say, great, I'm going to wait and see what happens. They start moving, and as they move, they're healed. One of them, though it says, saw. One of them is going to the priest, and he looks down, and he sees something different. It says, one of them saw that he was healed. All of them went, but one of them sees it. And when he sees it, he knows what has happened. 
And even though the priest is his way back into the community, he has to stop. And he goes back to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. And it's so cool what Jesus says to him. He says, rise. And the word rise that he's using is the same word that's associated with resurrection. The word rise, I love this. I love this so much. What Jesus is saying is, you have life again. You have, you have, you're dead, and now you have life. It's just like the prodigal son when he comes back and the father says, we have to celebrate because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And Jesus says, I'm giving you your life back. Your faith has saved you. Now, all 10 got healed physically. I think there's enough to suggest that this guy had more healing going on inside of him. All 10 get healed of their leprosy. All 10 go back to life as they know it. But this guy, I think, is changed. This guy is changed, and he starts to recognize who Jesus is and, and what Jesus is doing, and it changes him. Your faith has made you well, I think, is kind of all of you is getting healed in this moment. What can we learn from this? Jesus goes to the outcasts. Jesus goes to the outcast of the outcasts. So when we're reading it, we get 10 lepers, but we also get a Samaritan in the mix. And it's interesting because Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. Jews and Samaritans didn't do life together. Okay? They had some serious theological differences. Jews called Samaritans half-breeds, um, you know, not good for the friendship, right? So they don't do life together. But somehow in a leper colony, they're both there. They're, they have a community like misery loves company. Like somehow the differences we had in life don't matter anymore. I don't have my family. I don't have my heritage. I don't have anything. You're a Samaritan? Good enough. And they can do life together there. Sometimes... When everything else is stripped away, we have an opportunity for community that we wouldn't have normally had. And these guys have that in themselves. Jesus goes to them. He goes to the outcasts of the outcasts. A Samaritan leper is one among them. And that's the one that Luke brings out. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Um, I just want you to know, if you feel like an outcast, or if you feel like an outcast of the outcasts, Jesus is not done with you. Jesus is still coming toward you. Jesus isn't turning around and walking away. Jesus is the one who walks toward outcasts. He walks toward the margins, and he wants us to do the same thing. So if you're here this morning and you feel like that, I just want you to breathe a little bit of hope in recognizing Maybe God isn't done with me. Maybe I thought he was, but he's not. From a distance, what Jesus said was enough to cure them. Sometimes I think we want God to move in ways that we expect him to. So maybe, uh, maybe in the moment, they're like, wait, aren't you going to come and touch us? Or aren't you going to do 
what we expect you to, aren't you going to show up in this way? I think often God shows up in different kinds of ways. So when the nation is going, uh, is stopped at the Red Sea with Moses and company, God says, I want you to watch this. And he splits the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. And later on, when Joshua's leading uh, the company, they get to the river at flood stage and God says, now I'm still here. It's a little bit different. Now I want you to walk in and then I'm going to split it. You look at Moses, and God at one point says, Moses, hit the rock, and water's going to come out of it. And then another time, Moses forgets it and is rage, so it's like, I'm just going to do what I know to do, and he hits the rock, and God scolds him for it. Because the point isn't get into the routine of God being the same uh, or acting the same all the time. His character is consistent, but sometimes he shows up in different ways, and we shouldn't we shouldn't just expect or get bored with a monotonous God. God is showing up all the time in different ways. And for this time, his, his words from a distance were enough. You can almost, I, th- I start to picture the uh, Samaritan leper when he comes back to praise God, when he's thanking God. He knows, he knows Jesus healed him, and he's thanking God. There's a connection there where he's starting to have his eyes open, and I can almost hear the psalms coming out of his mouth. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever, says Psalms 30, 12. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, is found in Psalm 9, 1. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Paul later, years and years and years and years and years down the road, would write, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Paul's speaking specifically about Jesus and what Jesus did and what he gave for us. This man recognizes, I don't just feel gratitude. I give thanks, right? Gratitude is something that happens inside. Thanks is something that comes out of us. And this guy recognizes, I need both to happen uh, in me and then come out of me. I have gratitude and I give thanks. When we look at the nine, who Jesus questions, says, wait, there were ten here, right? What happened? There's only one guy standing in front of me saying thank you. And I don't think Jesus, um, I don't know that he's being a jerk here, right? Like, ugh. Great. You know, I do this and then what? He's just, maybe he's just asking the question. Maybe he knows the answer, but he's just asking it to say, I want to make a point to say, it's easy to be given a gift and just go on with life. It's easy to be given a gift and just go on with life. It's a, it's a much, much different thing to be given something and then to stop and to express Gratitude, to give thanks. Because what's interesting, too, is the nine are likely Jews. Because Jesus points this one guy out as a foreigner. This one guy out as the Samaritan, which would imply the other nine are Jews. And I think sometimes the people who are most likely to receive from God 
are the ones who don't get it. Sometimes the people who are most, they seem like they should be the closest to God, are the ones who don't appreciate what he does, are the ones who don't recognize God in the midst. And it's weird that a foreigner, it's weird that a Samaritan is the one who gets it. And I think we, sometimes we think we get God and that we can go into autopilot and we get bored and that our faith becomes stagnant. And we should ask that we would be people who would continually see him at work. That my family, like growing up in a Christian home, doesn't guarantee that I'm going to have a vibrant faith. That having a genealogy and being included in the church doesn't mean my faith does anything. We pray, God, would you, would you make me like a Samaritan who sees you at work and changes something? Because I think we're like the nine sometimes. Do you, do you do that with God? Have you ever received something from God and then just kind of forgotten about it or passed it by or said, okay, good, I was hoping you'd show up? You know, just kind of nonchalantly. Do we recognize God in our lives and do we acknowledge him? Karl Barth said, grace and gratitude go together like heaven and earth. I love that. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and the echo, like a gift is given and it comes bouncing back. And you speak something else and it comes bouncing back. Gratitude, gratitude assumes that I recognize I have been given a gift. Otherwise, I expect it. And I don't have to be grateful for it because I earned it, right? Gratitude means I got something I didn't deserve. I'm thankful. You could ask, what is our gratitude quotient? And a lot of people are smart and they have a high IQ. What's your GQ? Not the cover of a magazine. But what's your gratitude quotient these days? Can you look around and can you easily spot things to be thankful for? Or is that really hard? Gratitude, people say, is not so much circumstantially driven as it comes from within. You recognize good things coming to you. One commentator wrote, every child of God should cultivate the grace of gratitude. He said it not only opens the heart to further blessings, but glorifies and pleases the Father. An unthankful heart is fertile soil for all kinds of sins. And he references Romans 1.21. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Somehow gratitude is protection against a darkness that grows inside. If you want to live a bright life, gratitude, gratitude, there's something there. So this scientist named Robert Emmons uh, starts to study gratitude. He's like, look, we're studying all kinds of different psychological deals. All kinds of different tests are being run. I don't know that anybody's ever studied thanks. I don't know that anybody's ever started or studied gratitude. And so he got, uh, he got partners together and they began to study what goes into gratitude. What do, what do grateful people look like? What does gratitude do to a person? How does it change you? And he wrote a book with the results and it's called Thanks. I'm, I'm not crazy about the cover. The book is profound. 
The book is profound. One of the things he says, gratitude makes you happier. Well, you don't have to read a book to know that, right? Like if you think of a birthday party or a Christmas gift that you open, you're like, oh, wow, you immediately are happy. But he says, what about people who do this continually? And they're continually seeing gifts given. They are happier people. He said, gratitude, gratitude, um, people are, I think he said, 25% happier. If they practice gratitude, if they work out continually, if they eat a healthy diet, and that's one of those things like, yeah, Fruit Loops is part of a healthy breakfast, right? Um, but he said, people can, have, people can um, work out and work out and have a healthy diet, and have a healthy diet, and this group practices gratitude, they're 25% healthier than this group. Gratitude is enormous. And I don't want to stand up here and say, do gratitude because it works, right? But it works because that's how God made us. It works because God made us and continually gives us gifts. We're wired to recognize that, and our body responds to it when we recognize it. When I'm grateful, I acknowledge that I've received a gift. We get trapped by the world around us that's always saying, more, 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 you need this, you need this, you need this. The person who wants what they have, they're less susceptible to messages that encourage them to want what they don't have or want what others have. Now, again, I, I think people can't, command, people can't be commanded to be grateful. My pastor mentor for the last 12 years had this saying that I think sounds just like what a pastor would say. But he would say, uh, don't should on yourself. What your pastor? What did you just say? <laughs> you say, don't shoot on yourself. Which is to say, yeah, I know I should be thankful. I know I should be doing this. I know I should be doing that. I know I should. I should. He said, stop, stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> Which is awesome, isn't it? It's so good. And in, because then that just becomes self-help and it becomes despairing because the things that I'm not doing that I feel like I should be doing, then I just feel defeated. Instead of shooting on ourselves, <laughs> I should stop saying that, right? We need to see differently. We need to see differently. So, What? <laughs> yeah, buddy. So our prayer becomes, God, would you help me see differently? If I'm not overflowing in gratitude, I don't want to just start trying to be busy and feel guilty about how I'm not grateful. I, I want to do something with it. But I... Something needs to change so I don't just start going through the motions. Oh, God, would you change the way I see? Verse 15 says, 
when he saw that he was healed. His seeing something opened him up to gratitude the way it didn't for the others. And so just want to talk real practically about ways that we can do things to pray, God help me see. I don't know if any of you guys have gratitude journals. This is something that I haven't ever done, I'll confess to you. Um, but as I have studied it, as I have read this book, as I've gotten into gratitude and thanksgiving uh, here, I feel so compelled to start writing down things that I uh, see are gifts to me. I don't want to just be like, yeah, I'm grateful. Like here, And I want to be intentional about looking. God helped me see, and then I want to look. I want to be on the hunt. We were driving through Smoky Mountain National Park years ago, and Leslie's aunt uh, said, once in a while, you can see bears. And she said, um, Leslie said, my aunt prayed this prayer, not, God, would you help us see a bear? She prayed, God, if there's a bear, don't let us miss it. And I think that's a huge deal, a huge mind shift. God, if there are gifts in my life, don't let me miss them. God, if, I've been, if I'm being given things, please help me see them. I'm not sure that I need to be given any more. I'm being given a ton. Help me recognize what I'm being given. The benefits of gratitude journals. You go buy a 50-cent journal, a 50-cent notebook, and you start writing down daily what you see as gifts. And so Emmons writes, three things are very important in a gratitude journal. He says specificity, which means be specific in smart language, okay? Be specific. Because it's one thing to say, I'm thankful for Leslie. It's another thing to say, in the 14 years that we've been married, she's made almost 3,000 dinners. That I'm thankful for. She's done over 1,000 loads of laundry, which doesn't is not all that I'm thankful for, right? <laughs> but when I can say it like that, when I can pinpoint it to say, this is a little bit of my gratitude for you. I can't, be- I, don't, I don't recognize 3,000 dinners, but wow, what have, and that's prep time, and that's thinking ahead and grocery shopping, and that's doing all of those things. That's sorting my stinky laundry and then doing it. Like, wow. Thank you for that. So you're specific. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you just need to start to look and say, how can I blow this up? And, and I don't want to just pass by it. I want to start to look deeper. Like so many people helped us get out of our house in Fond du Lac. So many people did work. And when I start to say, my mom did this, my mom didn't just help. My mom offered time and time and time again. My mom got up on extension ladders and started doing windows. She's like, I don't like extension ladders, but I need to get you guys out of here. Mom, wow. Mom's our MVP when she was there. Anybody have an MVP mom? It's awesome. Have you thanked her recently? Like, we need to be specific and we need to write it down. And before we can go and thank mom, we have to be able to see what mom has done. So we pray, God, will you show me? And then we start to write it down, and we're specific in it. We write down things in our gratitude journal that surprise us. 
things that take us by surprise, when we feel entitled or when we expect good things to happen, or otherwise we, uh, we fail to be surprised by them, then we don't feel grateful. We're surprised by joy. We're surprised by gifts. We don't just expect them to happen. Unless it's a different kind of expectation. Like, I expect to see something good today, not because I deserve it, but because I know it's happening, and I'm, I'm asking God to help me see it. There's a difference there. But we're still surprised every time it happens. Try to write about an unexpected or a novel or unanticipated event. Experience or experiences that you're even curious about. I wonder what was going on in here. I wonder how many people were involved with this that I didn't even know. And you go on a hunt. You go on a hunt for gifts or what's behind the gifts. And you start to see. So be specific. Write about surprise. And then the third one is scarcity. It's about appreciating things that are limited. So at the end of your vacation, you soak it up. Because you know it's going away. The last two days of your vacation can be either a dump fest, or you're like, oh, you have to go back to life. Or you can soak it up to say, what I have now, I won't always have. And I want to soak this in. And think, think right now about a good friend that you have. Somebody that you can turn to. Somebody who you can call up. Somebody who you can go out with. Somebody who knows you and gets you. And think, would anything change if you knew that person was going to move next week or next month? That person, you were going to have less access to them very soon. Would anything change in the way you approached them or the way you felt about them? Friendships are not guaranteed for life. At least close right here, call me up and we'll go out and talk. All kinds of things can happen. People move, people get sick, friendships fade. What would change if you started to say, a friend like this is a scarce thing, is a limited commodity, and I don't want to miss it? How could you increase gratitude for that person and you write it down? This will help us develop the ability to see. We will feel this gratitude. But so we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And we already said there's a difference between feeling gratitude, right, and then giving thanks. So a gratitude journal is all about helping me see. And we're not done there. The full course of gratitude is I see and then I express. I feel gratitude and I give thanks. So Tim Keller says, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. Emin says, uh, one of the things that you can do to build up giving thanks is what he calls everyday thanks. Is daily expressing thanks, seeing things on the spot and elaborately expressing thanks for them. You can use your journal as fuel, as if to say, I'm writing this down and now I'm going to go thank somebody for it. I'm not just going to hold the treasure inside. I'm going to go give somebody the thanks that should be coming to them. Everyday thanks. The other would be, um, he says, a gratitude visit. He says, do you have somebody who has been especially kind to you in your life? 
who has never been properly thanked. And he, he did this test where uh, participants in the test were given one week to write down a 300-word kind of testimonial of what this person had done for them, how it had impacted them, and where they are now today because of that. He says, then you plan a surprise visit. Say, hey, can we talk sometime? And you don't tell them what it's about. And he said they would get together and the person would read their 300 words. And he said, in this test, in this test, everybody wept. Because it's not common. And because it's meaningful. If you have somebody in your life, if your journal starts to show, wait a minute, this person, this person, and I don't know if I've ever really fully adequately said thank you. I want to do it well. I'll write it down. And don't, don't just go and say, hey, thanks, man. Really, words can't express. I don't even know how to express my thanks to you. Well, you could try, right? <laughs> do your best. So do your best. Write it down. This is what you did. This is what it did to me. This is where I am because of it. And you go and express thanks. And it might not be this kind of like life-altering 180-degree, uh, my life was changed at that moment. Maybe it was somebody, something that somebody did along the course of your life that had they not done it, things would have gone very differently and very badly. And so you can give them gratitude. You can give them thanks by saying, what you did saved me, not from where I was, but where I would have gone or where I could have gone. But because of you, I'm here. And you can give that kind of thanks. So we journal. We give everyday thanks. I would challenge you. Pay a gratitude visit to somebody. And then, gratitude, when it starts growing, may cause us to want to be generous with others. In the way that we have received gifts, we start to have a desire to give gifts. We've talked here often at DR about the idea that says God has been so generous to us and so we want to be generous with others. When we recognize how much we've been given, it has this way of fueling our own, uh, our own generosity inside. Anne Lamott, in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, which says these are the three vital prayers. Help, thanks, and wow. She writes about gratitude. She says, gratitude begins in our hearts and then dovetails into behavior. It almost always makes you willing to be of service, which is where the joy resides. It means you are willing to stop being such a jerk. When you are aware of all that has been given to you in your lifetime and in the past few days, it's hard not to be humble and pleased to give back. Anne Voskamp, who writes on the same topic and is very different from Anne Lamott, says, you can't truly be grateful and not be moved. Gratitude, she says, starts movements. John Wesley said, true religion is right tempers toward God and right tempers toward man. It is, in two words, gratitude and benevolence. Gratitude to our creator, our supreme benefactor, and benevolence to our fellow creatures. So we, are, we have been given much by God, and so we give much 
to others. So where could you get involved? Where in this holiday season from Thanksgiving into Christmas, where could you get involved? Where could you practice generosity that comes out of your gratitude? Where could you give your time? Where could you give your money? When you recognize that all of life is a gift, you can give out of what you've been given. So Tracy got up in the announcements, and Tony kind of did this little poke thing to say, the river, the river, gift exchange, it will cost you. It'll cost you 25, uh, 25 bucks a pop. Maybe take three pops, right? Maybe, maybe go there. We have, to, we have to do 30 today is our goal. And I don't want to just shoot on you, but, <laughs> but it's an opportunity to practice generosity. Maybe saying, look, I've been given so much. I can give a little back. And I start to see things differently. And it grows this in me. If you have that desire, go sign up today. Go, go grab some tags. Go shopping. It's a fun. It can be fun to raise up your kids saying we're shopping for somebody we don't know. We're going to give this Christmas season. If you want a picture of grace and gratitude going hand in hand, there's a poem that I'll read to you, and I hope that I can do it some kind of justice. It's the poem written by the recipient of a lung transplant to the best friend he will never know. He said, my best friend, as I struggle for my life, my days becoming few, you reached out to help me, my best friend I never knew. Each day had become a burden while I clung to my only hope. My family suffered with me, my back against the ropes. God had a plan for me, a plan for you, my friend. Our paths would cross in time as our lives came near the end. The Father needed you in heaven, the angels a helping hand. That's why you were chosen, only you in all the land. My God, my God, your family cried as you were taken from this earth. There was a price that had to be paid, but oh, what angelic worth. You showed your love to others before they even knew. Your love is a living testimony. I'm alive because of you. Your love for me, my love for you, I wish it could be known. So few on this terrestrial ball will know the love that you've shown. That someone would give their life to another. There is no greater love how can I ever repay the debt as you soar with the angels above? So as I wake each morning, I thank the Lord for you. I've been blessed by you and your loving family, my best friend I never knew. But somebody who is gripped with a gift. I didn't deserve life, and you gave it to me. And he alludes to it in his poem, but this is, this is exactly what Jesus did. I, I'm dying here, and Jesus came to give me life. It cost him everything. My, my best friend, my friend who showed up when I had nothing to offer, Jesus said, I'll give you everything that I have. I'll give you my life. How can that not erupt in us 
in a sense of gratitude, in a sense of overwhelming humility and appreciation. We are lepers. Without Jesus, we are cut off from God. We are cut off from the life that we were meant to live. And he could have passed us by. He could have passed us by. He could have seen our sickness and done nothing. But he saw our sickness. And he offered healing. This Christmas season, will you recognize what he's given? Will you recognize what others continue to give, what he continues to give? And will you grow in the grace of gratitude so that you feel that and that you, you begin to give thanks? Communion is a perfect time to think about the gift, the gift and the life and the healing that Jesus did. So as we move toward that, as we move toward that, I'd encourage you to take some time intentionally to pray, God, would you help me see? When you start to think about what he saved you from, it, maybe you were going the wrong way and he completely changed your course. Maybe life has been smooth, but God in your life has saved you from a bad course. What are things that God has given you that you don't deserve? How can you be grateful for that? You take the bread and you focus and you think about what he gave for you. You take the cup and think about the life that he pours into you and how you can move now in health because of him. Let's be people who are on the hunt for gratitude. Can we pray? Father, would you help us see? Like a person needing a lung transplant so desperately. We are people who are lost and dying without you. You are the God of gifts. Help us not to put our expectations on you. Help us not to be dulled by the ways that you have moved in the past and so we just expect them now and think nothing of it. Help us to be people who are continually surprised, continually taken back by who you are and how generous you are. Help us to be people who see, who see people in our life who are gifts, who see the gifts that we are being given. Help us not to go through life blind. Help us to see, to be grateful, and to give thanks. This we pray in Jesus' name.